The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Boy, it's great to have you all here. We're in this series on uh, what we believe. And we've looked at a number of topics. You might call it doctrine. And today we're going to be looking at, at uh, spiritual growth. Really, what is spiritual growth? Can you measure spiritual growth? Does it just mean... We get to church, and the frequency of our attendance at church goes up. Uh, we get to know the songs. We don't even have to look at the words anymore. Is, is that what it means, spiritual growth? How many Bible studies uh, we attend? Or could it be something different? If you have your Bible, if you brought it with you, go ahead and open up to Galatians 5 and 6. And we're going to see what spiritual growth looks like uh, from the Scripture. And uh, what does the gospel actually produce in our lives. And so let me just give you a heads up. I'm going to give you two key words. When you, when you think about the gospel, what, what does the gospel produce in our lives? Two key words. Number one, it produces freedom. The second key word we're going to look at, it also produces fruit. Freedom and fruit. Let's look, first of all, at the gospel producing freedom. This is Galatians 5, 1 to 4. And we'll go through this, Galatians 5, pretty rapidly. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So basically what Paul is saying is that the law does not bring freedom. The law will only bring obligation and frustration, and to try and earn salvation or God's approval makes Christ really worthless to us. It's like looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and saying, you know, no thanks, Lord. I'd rather do it myself and there is no freedom there. So the foundation of our spiritual growth is rooted in our faith in Christ. And this isn't new. If you've been at Parkview uh, for many weeks at all, you've heard this repeated time and time and time again. Salvation is by faith uh, in Christ. It's by grace through faith alone in Christ. So it has nothing to do with our good works. It has nothing to do with us trying to do better and better, to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. It is a gift from God. Now this, obviously, to the church at Galatia, they're thinking, okay, I got it. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. But now the Apostle Paul is looking at them and going, wait a second. Now you're going right back to all this work stuff. And that's... You're, you're making Christ as if it's, he's of no value whatsoever. So he's trying to help them. He's trying to help us. And let's just call that the false gospel. In other words, it's a false truth. It's false good news that really isn't good news at all. It just is putting them under a lot of condemnation and an awful lot of obligation and frustration. Now, false gospel can appeal uh, to a lot of folks. Let me give you a couple of different kinds of people that the false gospel will appeal to. It's going to appeal, number one, uh, to, to people who 
uh, are very performance oriented. And I would say in a, in a town like Iowa City, um, where people are very performance oriented, whether it be in academics, whether it be in sports, you work hard to earn something. You work really, really hard to earn a degree. You wor work really, really hard to excel at a sport. Uh, so the false gospel can appeal to people like, if I, if I just plug away harder, if I, if I just try harder, do more things, keep away from the right things, do the right things, keep away from the wrong things, do the right things, uh, this will make God happy. False gospel. Another kind of person this might appeal to would be someone who has had a very difficult or maybe even a rebellious life that Jesus saved them out of. It would be real easy for them. The temptation would be to add to what Jesus did for them on the cross as a free gift. In other words, they wouldn't, they wouldn't deny, the people in Galatia wouldn't deny that salvation is through Christ and by his death on the cross. And yet it would be so tempting to add, and boy, you, you better stay away from the bottle. You better stay away from drugs. You better stay away from this. You better stay away from that. You better start doing this. You better start doing that. And the temptation was to add to the gospel. That's what they were doing in Galatia. But it wasn't drinking and smoking and drugs and all that stuff. It was stuff like circumcision, observing the law, keeping the holy days, etc. And the Apostle Paul was saying, you know, don't, don't go there. Colossians 2 verse 6 puts it this way, as you've received... Christ Jesus the Lord, salvation, so walk ye in him by faith, or the sanctification part. So let me give you two opposing options. Number one, salvation is through faith in Christ, no doubt. But sanctification is by my hard work, and that's what they were falling into, keeping away from things, doing other things like keeping the law. But that will never produce freedom that will only put you under obligation, frustration, and bondage. So here's the other option. The other option is salvation is through faith in Christ. Same beginning. But sanctification is also through faith in Christ. Spiritual growth comes from the Spirit, not from our hard works, or the Apostle Paul will call it the works of the flesh. It's not that. So I heard this illustration a number of years ago. It's one of the best illustrations I've heard. Uh, I want you to picture in your mind three dogs. Okay, the first dog is chained up behind a fence, and that dog is just longing to be free. But it feels so constrained, so restricted, and it's just jerking at the chain. It's clawing at the fence. It wants to get out so bad. And he looks out of the fence, and there's another dog out there. Free as a wind, just what, rolling in whatever he wants to roll in, eating whatever he wants to eat, doing whatever he wants to do. But that second dog is homeless. He's diseased. He's infested with fleas and ticks, without care, unkept, no companionship. But then there's a third dog. And the third dog is much unlike the first two. This third dog is walking right next to its master on a leash, but the leash is slack. It's not pulling. He's walking obediently next to his master, contented at his side, completely trusting his master. He is fit. He is well-fed. He is content. He's healthy. 
and he's happy. Which one of those dogs, three dogs, is really the dog that's free? That's what Galatians 5 and 6 is all about. So the gospel produces genuine freedom. Secondly, the other key word is the gospel produces genuine fruit. So he's going to do some comparison and contrast here. He's going to give us like the true fruit and the false fruit, okay? The true gospel and the false gospel. And for the false gospel, he's going to use the word ergon, work, okay? Instead of fruit, he's going to call it work, okay? So let's look, first of all, at how the fruit will really indicate the root. The kind of fruit indicates the root. And so for the false gospel, basically we're looking at verses 13, 14, and 15. And we're going to find, it almost as like a sandwich. You know, the bread, the bad part is the beginning and the end, and the good part's in the middle. Okay, that's exactly what this is. So the first half of 13, um, the first half of 13, and then 15 is the sandwich. That's, that's the false gospel. And then the true gospel is right dab smack in the middle, the uh, last part of 13 and verse 14. So let's look at the false gospel. And we're going to see that self-indulgence is really the fruit of the false gospel. So the first part of 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, that's the gospel, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the sarks, for, for the flesh. And then he jumps down and concludes it, but if you bite, devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So self-indulgence is the fruit of the gospel, but on the other hand, in the middle, we find that loving service is the fruit of the true gospel. So back to the middle of 13 and 14, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving service, we find out, is really the hallmark of true spiritual growth. And, and it's amazing to me, we've, we've, lucked, we've, we've even done surveys here at Parkview trying to, to assess a person's spiritual growth. How, how can you tell if a person is mature? And you come up with all kinds of, of uh, questions and questionnaires to try and assess that. And what we find out is from 14 and 15, we're assessing all the wrong things, <laughs> okay? So, so let's see. Loving service is the hallmark of true spiritual growth. And uh, so we're, we're going to see that the false gospel Results, again, self-indulgence. Fruit of the false gospel, self-indulgence. 13a and verse 15. And it results in not only an unbiblical reliance upon self, but also an unbiblical and unhealthy focus on self. That's the fruit of the false gospel. So we see that individual, the hallmark of that individual, they'll be concerned about themselves, they'll be talking about themselves, positioning themselves, arguing for self, buying for self, entertaining self, actualizing self, satisfying self. But the true gospel, the good news, produces both freedom and fruit, freedom, freedom and the fruit of loving service, which are accurate indicators. On the other hand, this freedom that we have in Christ is not 
a freedom to sin, but it's really a freedom from sin so that we can be engaged in not self-indulgence, but loving service. Loving service that expresses itself, if you look up there, we've talked about this before, it would result in things like loving God, loving others, or actually serving the world, those kinds of things. So Paul wants to get us to the source of those two contradicting actions, the flesh and the spirit. Okay, he says in verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sarks of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so he, he then gives a list. What for somebody who is really self-indulged, for somebody who's self-indulged, which is the, fall, the, the fruit of the false gospel, what does it look like in life? So he now gives us list, we would call it the work of the sarks, the work of the flesh. And he says this ergon, this work of the sarks is really evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, let me challenge you. <laughs> Look at that list. Look at that list. And did you notice that most of the sins of the flesh, most of the works of the flesh, most of them are not sexual, most of them are not even spiritual. Most of the ramifications, because it's the opposite of self-indulgence, right? Most of the works of the flesh are social. How you treat one another, how you feel about one another. Hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy. You see, the dysfunctions in our souls always work themselves out into our relationships with other people. That's reliance on self, focus on self. In other words, what causes all the dissension, what causes, let's just call it lack of unity, is my likes, my wants, my demands, my self-satisfaction, and we find out that that actually hurts the body rather than helps the body. And this is, what Paul is saying is it's the exact polar opposite to genuine spiritual growth. And you know the amazing thing to me, when we, and we've done these surveys at Parkview, you know, about, well, are you a disciple? Are you really mature? Are you, and the kind of lists that we tabulate are, What's your frequency? How, how often do you attend church? How often do you read the Bible? How many times a day do you pray? Uh, how many times do you witness? Have you led people to Christ? Did you realize none of those things are on this list? Not one are on this list. It's about how do you deal with other people? How do you get along with other people? Do you really love them? Or are you so self-absorbed that it causes all kinds of dissension? 
And then this really blows me out. What are the wages for that, Paul says? What do you earn? What do you, what's the wage for the works of the flesh? And he says in verse 21, I warn you. He's talking to the Galatians. Of course, he's talking to us. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the fruit of the law observers, the list keepers who are trying to earn spiritual growth is not at all what they're anticipating. Instead of getting the blue ribbon for Sunday school attendance, their reward is exclusion from the kingdom of God. A bitter fruit born from bitter lives. Now, believe me, let me just say this up front. There is, we want you to, to come and worship and attend church. We want you to read the Bible. We want you to be involved in Bible studies and, and engage with people. We absolutely want that. We want you to read the Bible. We want you to witness. But it's got to come from the right heart, from the right place. It is a result of our faith in Christ. It's not do it, do it, do it, check it, check it, check it. Gee, I, I hope I've earned my way. I hope I've now pleased God. It will show up in fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand. Now, now here's the real checklist for our spiritual maturity. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. But you know what? You're not going to find a survey that lists those things. They're not as easy to quantify. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires of self-indulgence. If we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, a life that's marked by these kinds of attitudes and actions reveals a freedom that we've received from ourselves and from our own demanding desires. And then we're set free. We're, we're set free. Free to love God. We're set free to love others. We're set free to serve the world. And see, and it's what Paul is saying is that, look, it's so important. He's focusing on these things rather than the list of what we do and don't do because it's our lives that magnify what we say to the world. Now, I know you've heard this before, this expression, and it's, it's great. This expression is wonderful if you want to pin it up or put it on a blackboard or maybe crochet it, but you've probably heard it. it it's something like that. Um, your life is the best message you'll ever preach. Uh, that's a great saying, but it is not true. That is not true. If, if, if you tend to go that way, if you think, oh, I don't need to share the gospel, I don't need to preach the gospel, I'm just living it. Please, go back and read Galatians chapter 1. The words of the gospel are critical. They're life-saving. 
Paul tells us, look, faith comes from hearing. He says in that very context in Romans 10, beautiful are the feet who preach the good news. Their voice has gone out. The words to the end of the word. How can they hear without someone preaching? The words are absolutely essential for someone to hear. But it's the life. It's the life that magnifies what our words say. The words are critical, but our lives will either support it and back it up, or it'll tear it down. Let me give you an illustration. I'm purposely saying it in a way so you don't think I'm taking one side or the other. But let, take the election, okay? I, I have never, ever, in all the years I've been involved in elections, been so frustrated or heard people so frustrated. So let's just say there's, there's um, on the one hand, the, the democratic philosophy of government, and on the other hand, there's the Republican philosophy of government, okay? I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong for the, for the sake of this illustration, okay? I really think there is one right and one wrong, but <laughs> no. <laughs> but for the sake of the illustration, let's just say you're committed to one of those philosophies or the other. We have two people that we're getting ready to vote for whose lives are screaming against everything those philosophies stand for. Both of them. They're liars and deceivers and, you know, I, what, use whatever terms you want to put in there. But that, I think that's what's making it so difficult for people. You know, if you stand for this or if you stand for that, your representative stinks. <laughs> that's hard. Don't let it be so with the gospel, Paul is saying. We have the best message in the world. Let your life be a megaphone. Let it support the gospel. Don't let your life tear it down. That's what Paul is saying. So let me ask you. Are you sharing the message? And secondly, what is your life doing to your message? Is it making it difficult to believe the message or easy to believe the message? So, fruit of the gospel. The gospel produces two things. The gospel will produce freedom in your life. The gospel will produce fruit in your life. And the fruit of the Spirit, we see the character of... I, I wish that division, chapter 6, division wasn't in there. I wish it would have just flowed because the whole thing flows together. Fruit of the gospel, character of your life, but also it expresses itself in not only the character of your life, but in your care for others. Let's look at this, verses, chapter 6, 1 to 5, yet there's not a, a division. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So the focus here is, is not only 
will the true gospel make a radical difference in our own character, in our own lives? It'll also make a radical difference in the way we relate and care for others. So he says, bear one another's burdens, and this too, just like love, will fulfill the law. So gospel caring, if we're really going to care, gospel caring demands burden bearing. And we see this over and over throughout the scriptures. You see it in the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. This is the first commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see it in the new commandment. This new command that you love one another as I've loved you. You're to love one another. This is how people will know that you're my disciples if you have this kind of love. I mean, you see it throughout the scriptures that we're ready to care by bearing the burdens of others. You see it throughout the Old Testament. We're to bear the burdens of others, whether they be the poor or the homeless or the afflicted or the alien or the widow or the orphan. If you really, if your life is really transformed, it's not going to be self-absorption. It's going to be, how can I lovingly serve? 13b and verse 14 of chapter 5. But then this weird verse, verse 5, he says, For each will have to bear his own load. What's he mean with that? I, I thought he said bear one another's burdens, but he says now everybody's got to bear their own load. So let, let me explain it real quick. Where it says bear one another's burdens, he uses the word baros. It's the word for uh, bear those people who have a heavy weight and the, the word is concentrating on the weight that they're bearing. Now, in the other verse, in verse 5, for each has to bear his own, and it's a different word, his own fortion. It has nothing to do with weight. It has everything to do, everybody's got their own obligations and responsibilities. Everybody is responsible to bear their own, bear their own weight, their own responsibilities. For example, as a dad, I have the responsibility to bear the weight of being a father. I have the responsibility of being a good husband to Cheryl. I have the and I've got to take care. I have the responsibility of working hard to, pro to provide so that my family can eat. Everyone is responsible to bear their own fortion. I'm responsible for that. If you're a student, you're going to the University of Iowa, you have the fortion of studying hard and not wasting either your money or your parents' money. If you're an adolescent, if you're a teenager, you have the fortion, the responsibility of good personal hygiene. Uh, you have the fortion <laughs> oh, or making your bed or helping your parents with the dishes. You have, that's your responsibility to keep your room straight. It's your fortion. But here, verse 2, it's talking about the baros. You have the, to, to, we need to bear the heavy burdens that other people have. The storms that often come in on life that causes our knees to buckle and to depress us. And there's obsessive weight whether it be cancer or job loss or bankruptcy or divorce or, or loss of a child or loss of a mate. Um, these are the baros of life that come in like a storm. And 
as believers, the true gospel means, see, I'm not absorbed in self. I'm set free to be the kind of person God wants me to be to the people all around me. I'm living the fruit of the Spirit. That's my character, but I'm also bearing for those who are under the heavy burdens of life. I'm coming alongside them to help them through those extremely tough times. I can't tell me how many times you all have done that for our family. I say we share these in staff meeting all the time. How many examples right now of people in Parkview going through very, very heavy, weighty times. And it is so awesome to see so many of you coming alongside and lifting them up, helping them during extreme times of need. It's a tremendous blessing. There's another one. There's another way that we come alongside and help bear people up. And that's verse 1. We sort of read over it. I want to get back to it. Brothers, if any one of you is caught in any paraptoma, any paratoma, any transgress. If anybody's caught in a transgression, if anybody's caught in the point where they have crossed the line, we then come alongside and we who are spiritual we help that person become restored with a spirit of gentleness and all humility because we can be tempted as well. So it means the buckling times of life in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way when a person crosses the line, walks away from God, we as believers, we love them so much and care for them so much we come alongside with them and we help to restore them, to get them to go back across the line and help restore them in their relationship with God. We care that much about them. You know what this demands? Folks, it demands that our priorities are right. It demands we're walking in the Spirit. It demands, first of all, that we're believers in Jesus Christ. We, we, we've been saved through grace by faith in Christ and Christ alone. It demands that I'm trusting, walking in the Holy Spirit, not trying to do things in my own power. It, it demands that I'm trusting the Holy Spirit for me to take care of the fortions in my own life. I'm taking care of my family. I'm, I'm, I'm feeding my family. I'm being a good husband. I'm being a good father to my kids and now grandkids. Um, and then on top of that, now, because my life is balanced, there's margin in my life, now I can come alongside those who are buckling under the weight of oppression and help them or crossing the line spiritually, where spiritually I can help them get back on course. So a challenge. If my life is so busy that I'm not even having time to take care of the fortions of my life, much less bear the burdens of someone whose knees are buckling, then I need to repent. What's driving me to do this? 
Do I think spiritual growth is just checking off? Am I doing enough stuff to please God? So maybe all of us need to take a step back, do a little self-examination. Am I living the life Jesus wants me to live? Am I doing it for the right motives? You know, there's so many wonderful ways that we can be involved in bearing the burdens of others. You know, I, I just think personally for ourselves, I mean, you know, obviously we're so thankful we've got a great support group. We've got people on staff. We've got an awesome elder board. Uh, so, I mean, there are people surrounding me. But I just wanted to, so I've got that. Thank God for that. But our community group has been so wonderful. I, I can't tell you, you know, I know some people get frustrated with their community groups. I, just, I thank God for our group. I really do. We have emails that are going out constantly, how we can lift up each other in prayer, what we can do, how we can help. I pray to God that you get connected with a group of others that can begin to experience it. And it starts with you. I mean, you might say, my group stinks. Well, do something different. You change it. You start modeling what it, what it should be like. So th that's an awesome way, just personally personally, how many people have helped us with Adrian and Sharla lost their homes in Baton Rouge, just the help people have come around us. Uh, I, I think of, you know, Samaritan's Purse. What, what a small way that around the world we can come alongside, help a little kid, you know, who would never have any of this stuff. It's been exactly a year that Rosie and Eric brought home uh, Lizzie and Gideon from the Congo. They would never have had any of that stuff. Just a, such a small price, you know, to really help somebody. Um, I think last year we had 2,200 boxes that went out from Parkview. Our prayers that we can hit that same level, 2,200, uh, maybe even top it would be, be wonderful. So don't forget, grab your boxes on the way out. Such a small thing uh, you can do uh, through Community groups, if you're not plugged into a community group, stop by. But we love to help you in any way we can do that. There's so many ways. I, I just heard, I was talking to Jessie, my, my daughter-in-law, and, and she told me, I didn't even know about this ministry. She, I just found out about it yesterday, the, the respite night. Anybody, who, who here has heard of respite night? Yeah, very few, very few people. So we have a ministry here, I think it's run by Laura Broffitt. And the respite night... Is, is one night a month for foster parents to give them where they can bring their kids, drop them off, to allow them just a, a couple of hours where they can get away or maybe parents who have adopted children to give them. I mean, there's so many things at Parkview uh, that we can come alongside and, and bear the weight of others. Faith Academy, the spot, just on and on and on. Another thing that you could do, this, I've, just, I've read this book. It's called Side by Side. Uh, in two weeks, Steve, actually the third hour, will be, will be taking a group four weeks to get through this book. This, everything we're talking about is right here. How, how do you help people walk when they're paroptima, when they've gone across the line spiritually? How do you help them get back? How do you help people bear the heavy weights of life side by side? Uh, matter of fact, if, if you've heard it, Mark Dever, anybody here Mark Dever, Capitol Hill Baptist Church? 
uh, their pastor of counseling and care. This is the book they take their whole church through, uh, side by side. Park City's churches, there are 20 different churches in Chicago, Park City's. They take everybody through this book. Uh, Moody, Moody Bible Church, they take people through this book. Uh, so it's, it's an awesome start. That's in, in a couple of weeks if you're interested in that. Um, yeah, yeah. Bottom line, listen, the Apostle Paul was the epitome of being a burden bearer. There is nobody in the New Testament besides Jesus uh, that bore more burdens than the Apostle Paul. But I'll tell you what, gospel caring also demands truth sharing. And the Apostle Paul, not only was he a great burden bearer, he was also vulnerable enough to tell the truth, to share. Pray for me. I mean, this is after the Apostle Paul telling about how, you know, he's, he's a chief of sinners. And he says, pray for me lest I become a castaway. Please come, bring my cloak, bring the books, especially the parchments. Receive Onesimus as my own son. Paul gave what probably was the greatest gift he could possibly give to us, and that's the gift of vulnerability. How can we burden bear unless we're willing to truth share? To share your need. Or, in the case of Galatians 6.1, to share your confession. I've stepped across the line. Help me. So it takes it both. The truth of the matter is this. If there is going to be caring, which is the expression of the true gospel, there's got to be burden-bearing. And burden-bearing necessitates a context and a relationship for genuine sharing. And without it, if all we're doing is, is testing to see if you're a good disciple based upon how many times you attend church, how many times you read the Bible, how many people you witness to, how many times you pray, you know what? You could be the rugged individualist. And the rugged individualist will quickly become the ragged individualist. It's not an option for a Christian to tell the truth, to true share. It's not reserved only for those who seem to like to get into a group and enjoy belching up the most personal dimensions of their life. This is a command for every believer. Paul says, this is the law of Christ. By this all men will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. Listen, the gospel of justification by faith in Christ makes a radical difference in the way we live. It makes a difference in who we are, fruit of the Spirit. It makes a difference in the way we live together. Christianity is not a sterile, solitary, self-absorbed, fruitless faith. It's not a selfish or self-centered religion. 
It is a religion that results in transformed life that lovingly serves. And loving means caring. And genuine caring demands burden-bearing. And burden-bearing is contingent upon open sharing. And truthful sharing will, without a doubt, most easily take place in the context of biblical community. See, that is true spiritual growth. That's what God's Holy Spirit looks like, and that's what God's Holy Spirit accomplishes. It produces spiritual growth. Let's all stand up. I'll close with prayer, and then we're going to close with a song. Lord, uh, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would complete your argument, complete your apologetic to all those around us through our lives. Demonstrate the truth of your power by your Spirit by bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Start with us. We pray that the fruit that we exhibit to others would be absolutely inexplicable to the world apart from your intervention and your action. We pray that in this church that we would see the spirit of Jesus evident in the care and the concern that we have for one another and the honor that we give to one another and the carefulness that we take, the love that we show. Oh Lord, give glory to yourself and may your gospel, Lord, be clearly, accurately proclaimed from our lips but vindicated through our lives together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.